Welcome to the Rehope Podcast. Before we dive into this week's message, we'd like to provide you with some helpful resources. If you'd like someone to pray for you, it would be our joy to connect with you. So please email us at prayer at rehope.co.uk. If you'd like to get connected with an online Bible read-through group from wherever you are in the world, you can email brt at rehope.co.uk and be a part of a small group of people reading through the Bible cover to cover each year. Finally, if you would like to support the work and ministry of Rehope financially, you can do so online at rehope.co.uk slash giving. We pray you find this message encouraging, enlightening, and helpful. Enjoy. Good morning again. If I missed you at the start, it's nice to see you. My name's Laura. I'm the lead pastor here. If you want to hang around at the end, I'll be over here and would love to say hello if we've not met. We are in a mini-series right now, just over the summer, looking at Paul. And we started that last week looking at Acts chapter 19, verse 11, which tells us that God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. And we started to look at what sort of life God flows through to do extraordinary versions of extraordinary things for his glory. Looked at how it wasn't a perfect life, but a surrendered life, one that is in Christ, so covered by Jesus and his perfection, and then remaining in Christ over a lifetime, staying, continuing in Christ, that that's the sort of life that then over our lifetime unlocks the extraordinary things of God that he wants to do in you and through you. I am fascinated by Paul as I read through his story in the Bible because he seems extreme, and I might be tempted to think that he's exceptional, but then he turns around and he says, imitate me. Do as I do, as I imitate Jesus, imitate me. And if we view last week as almost like an extended Bible read-through share from things that I have been learning about Paul's life based around Acts 19.11, then my next share and the basis of our message today is from 2 Corinthians this time. If you want to follow along, it'll be on the screen. You can also use your own Bible if you have that with you. Paul is writing to the church in Corinth and he says this, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us again. On him we set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. Paul faced many challenges. In fact, he gives something of a catalog of struggles in chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians. If you're melancholic, romantic type, or an Enneagram type 4, you might be thinking, ooh, catalog of struggles. That's a good idea for my next book. Um, But we know from that chapter alone that Paul faced prison, flogging, he was exposed to death again and again, his words. Five times he got 40 lashes minus one. Any mathematicians among us can work out just how many lashes that was. He was beaten with rods three times, pelted with stones once, shipwrecked three times, spent 24 hours in the open sea, been in danger from rivers, bandits, his own people, not his own people, in danger in the city, country, at sea, from false believers. He's had to work really hard. He's endured sleepless nights. He's been hungry. He's been thirsty. He's been cold. He's been naked. And then I love this, he says, and besides, everything else. I have faced daily my concern for the churches 
So when he writes at the start of 2 Corinthians of great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so we despaired of life itself, we might not know specifically the details of these pressures that he faced in Asia, but they were clearly significant because Paul must have had a pretty high pain threshold. He really did walk the road of what Jesus said when he said, in this life you will have trouble. And in that, his battle cry at this point in his story is, God has delivered us. God will deliver us again. And on him, we will continue to set our hope that he will deliver us as you help us by your prayers. I have two American friends who are married to each other. Um, we'll call them Ryan and Shelley. They don't wear glasses. They have perfect vision. And they are subtly or not subtly competing against each other to see who can have perfect vision the longest. Maybe because it's a sign of youth and vitality. Maybe because they just like winning. But I suspect that maybe either or both of them could probably do with an eye test. Now, maybe I'm suspicious because when I needed glasses, it kind of snuck up on me. I, I didn't know that I needed glasses. I just sort of, over time, began to notice that I wasn't seeing things in the distance, maybe as clearly as other people to my right and left were. And I remember when I came out of Specsavers that first day with my glasses on, thinking like out into the world, into Glasgow, it was a sunny day, looking around me thinking, wow, the trees have leaves. People, people have faces. I can recognize my friends from a distance. This is incredible. Is this what people have been seeing all along? As followers of Jesus, we have our faith as the lens through which we see the world. And I think sometimes we look out at how complicated the world is and we know that we're not quite seeing the way we want to see. We know that we're not quite seeing as clearly as we can see. We, we know that there's something a little bit off in our vision. I think sometimes we don't even realize for a long time that better vision is available to us. I know my faith lens can be a bit foggy sometimes, whether it's clouded by fears that I have or insecurities that I struggle with or distraction or just the messages of the world and of culture, whatever it might be, it can get foggy. But I look at Paul and I see here that he's facing these unknown pressures and yet sees clearly through eyes of faith in this moment. He says, God has delivered us. God will deliver us. He looks back at what God has done and he preempts what God is going to do. He has incredible clarity. And I think this was a foundation of his life that then helped him to glorify God as he did. From the very beginning of Paul's Christian story, from his conversion in Acts chapter 9, Ananias lays hands on Paul and to, for, for him to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it says that scales literally fall off his eyes and he could see again. His clarity about who Jesus is is what fuels his dramatic transformation. From one page, it says he's breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. And then at once, he begins to preach in the Jewish synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. His clear faith fuels his ministry from teaching at Antioch, preaching in the Jewish synagogues, connecting Jesus to Old Testament history and prophecy. He answers opposition boldly. He's unaffected by opposition in his innermost being. We hear about him being expelled from places, but going with joy and full of the Holy Spirit. He speaks effectively. He performs signs and wonders that then back up what he says. He strengthens the disciples. He navigates what we're told is sharp dispute and debate over the law. 
he risks his life for Jesus multiple times. He stays on purpose even when he's in prison. He perseveres through very mixed results as he goes. He continues to expect great things of God. He follows the Spirit into the unknown. He reports in great detail, scriptures say, what God is doing to the believers. And he testifies amidst death threats, and then he continues with all boldness and without hindrance at the end of the book of Acts. I think in a confusing world, in an increasingly confusing world, God wants to solidify our foundation that we would become faith-filled people of clarity here, not here and there, not clear in some areas and really foggy in others, not a little bit in, a little bit out, or very up and down, but faith-filled people of clarity so that the next generation have Pauls to imitate in us so that we can be known as people of incredible hope because people see it in us. I want to talk about three pillars of Paul's clarity today that I hope can help us move and continue to move from cloudy to clearer to clearer to clearer, not only so that my life, our lives glorify God, but so that we can become people like Paul who actually champion this sort of faith for other communities, for wherever God may send us or give us influence. So first pillar, I am calling the first pillar the sufficiency of Jesus. Now, I know this sounds a bit dry, the word sufficient. When I think of the word sufficient, I think of my Auntie Rosemary teaching me and my brother that we should not say I'm stuffed at the end of a meal, but say I've had sufficient. (laughs) It sounds a little bit dry. Sufficient means enough, but I want to elevate our sense of enough today from like I'm satisfied in a kind of bare minimum sort of way to perfectly suited, perfectly satisfied, perfectly matched. Paul is confident that Jesus is the perfect, the one and only perfect savior of the world. He's also confident that in every situation, Jesus is exactly what his need requires. And as he looks back on what God has done and looks forward with clear hope, he models for us a general biblical principle when it comes to learning this in our own lives. For example, David, King David, Psalm writing David, Shepherd David, he does it when Israel is facing Goliath in 1 Samuel chapter 17. He says, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. The only reason David fights Goliath is because he remembers what God has done and that God is enough and he volunteers for it. I love that. Caleb is similar Israel sends spies into the promised land. We heard about him quite recently. The other spies come back and they're like, the people are really big. The cities are really fortified. They're stronger than us. Caleb knows that God being with them is enough and he literally sees reality differently, it seems. He comes back and he says, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. He sees reality differently. Our confidence in God's enoughness will not only impact how we respond to problems as they arise, but it can transform how we even see the reality in the first place. David sees differently, so he volunteers to fight the giant. Caleb sees differently, and it gives him the courage to act differently. He says to the people, we should go and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it, because the Lord is with us, and their protection is gone. Trusting Jesus is enough means that whether we volunteer for battle or whether we are obedient to step into things that God calls us to, or whether we have adverse circumstances thrown upon us, we can find in those places that Jesus is not only sufficient in some like we just about made it through kind of way, but actually that he is enough 
to overcome even inevitable circumstances in our lives, things that the world would say are inevitable. Paul says in our core scripture for today, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But he goes on to say, but God raises the dead. Not only we felt like we'd received the sentence of death, but good thing is we didn't die. No, God raises the dead. We see that actually with Jesus and his sufficiency and his sort of enoughness, the inevitable is reversible in our lives where we might face circumstances where despair is natural, but Jesus gives us impossible hope or bitterness might be completely understandable, but Jesus can heal our hearts or where people would look in and they'll think, okay, that grief, that grief is gonna crush them, but actually God can even redeem in the midst of our pain in the small things, God shows himself faithful. And in the extreme circumstances of our life, our testimony to him, it's amplified, it's louder. And yet with this first pillar of Jesus' sufficiency, if we want to build a firm foundation of that in our lives, I think we need to be careful. I know I need to be careful that I firmly plant all of my trust in who God is in his character and not what I do or do not see him doing at any point in my life. To go back to Hudson Taylor, just for a wee moment, missionary to China. I'm still reading his biography. It's great. It's long. It's great. He needed significant financial breakthrough at one point, and he wrote home these words. He said, I cannot conceive how we shall be helped through next month, though I fully expect we shall be. The Lord cannot and will not fail us. He has no clue how, because he can't see any sign how. And in earthly terms, it is impossible. And yet he knows that God cannot fail. So he trusts. And maybe you're like, yeah. I mean, if I was a missionary somewhere and I saw Hunters of Miracles, or I was Paul, and I saw God do extraordinary versions of extraordinary things through my life, then I would probably trust him too. I'd probably trust that he was enough too. I think that. But these guys suffered. Hudson Taylor saw God move in miraculous ways. He saw a financial breakthrough in this moment, spoilers. He saw God provide when there was no provision possible. He saw all these things, but he also lost his wife, his first wife, young. He lost kids. And I can't get my head around that, how he still chose to look through the lens of who he knows God to be, not his circumstances. And so in his pain, he hurts, but his vision wasn't clouded and even deeper reliance is drawn out of him. I don't want to suffer. But Paul got to know the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. He writes about that in Romans chapter 4. And I think that's because he had to rely on God to give life to the dead and to call into being things that were not. Our need is God's opportunity to prove himself sufficient for us. And as we trust Good news is that something good happens on the inside of us. Paul writes in Romans 15, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I think it's really good news that our joy and peace might grow as we trust in God and isn't necessarily always completely present before we choose to trust God and step into the thing that he's doing. And then on the outside, it glorifies God. I find it easy to believe that answers to my prayer and fulfillment of my promises would glorify God because then people can look at those things and think, wow, God is kind, God is good, God is paying attention to her life, God has heard her prayers, God's answered her, great. I'm like, God, this would glorify you, answer my prayers. But Paul says that when we say amen to God's promises, that is for God's glory. When we agree 
that he can do what he's promised. That is for his glory as well. Okay, second pillar is priority of the gospel. And by gospel, I just mean, uh, I just mean, it's huge. I mean God's saving plan for the world through Jesus. That's what I mean by the gospel. I am a, a doer, naturally. I like to achieve things. If I didn't know Jesus, I would probably base all of my self-worth in what I can do, what I can achieve, what I can contribute. I base a lot of my identity quite naturally into those things. Sometimes I put my feelings in a box and push them to one side so that I can get a thing done. Sometimes I like to get the box out, open the box, sit in the box, feel all the things. I think we all experience a bit of like, who am I swirling in our lives? If we're lucky, uh, we do this when we're quite young. We find some answers, we figure some things out, and then we go from there. If we're Christians, if we've given our life to Jesus, then we have found secure identity in God. We know we are children of God, that's who we are, but we're human, and that can mean that sometimes we still swirl a little bit on the inside. Maybe I swirl on the inside because when I look ahead into my future, a lot of it still feels really unknown. Maybe you can relate to that. And my who am I questions are often connected to what am I for? Why am I here? What am I to do? And Paul is helpful because following Jesus in his life, he lives a life of clear, single purpose. He knows who he is. He knows what he's for. And both of those inform the other. He identifies himself at the start of Romans as Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. He knows he's sent by Jesus for the gospel. And he says, when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast since I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel in 1 Corinthians 9. So he makes it his priority. He says, for I am resolved, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And he makes it his priority in the real sense of a priority and that you can only have one actual priority. I talk about my priorities all the time. It's a little bit of an oxymoron. He makes it the most important. And because it is most important to him, his life revolves around that thing he writes in 1 Corinthians 9, I've become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all of this for the sake of the gospel. Telling people about Jesus, teaching people about Jesus is like a thread by which the Holy Spirit pulls Paul through his life. It's where he gets his sense of self. It's where he gets his next plan. I know that if I allow the Holy Spirit to pull me by a similar thread through my life, that it might take me into deeper waters. It will probably take me into unknown territory. It will probably force me to rely on him more. But I also see in Paul's life how Jesus, linking back to our first pillar, Jesus, like above and beyond, proves his sufficiency in that context specifically. In Acts alone, there are multiple instances of Paul being visited by God in the middle of the night for God to tell him to keep going, keep testifying, have courage, keep going. Paul knows he is so obviously helped and protected. He testifies to it in Acts 26. He says, but God has helped me to this very day. So I stand here and I testify to small and great alike. Prioritizing the gospel in our lives sets the stage, like makes things ready for God's faithfulness to be revealed. And then as that's revealed, God's faithfulness helps get rid of the fog. People get to know who Jesus is and we look out with clear hope. And it makes me wonder if maybe we don't wanna wait until we feel faith-filled to step out on mission or to stay on mission, but we actually want to get out there in our weakness and then see Jesus in that place. Pillar number three, our final pillar, indispensable community. 
Indispensable means absolutely necessary. And I think we see that in Paul's life. God says to Ananias at the beginning of Paul's Christian journey, he says to Ananias that Paul is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles. My chosen instrument. Yet he does not send him out as a chosen instrument by himself. Even the fact that God tells Ananias Paul's calling before God tells Paul Paul's calling tells me something about how what God's calling us into and leading us into doesn't exist in a vacuum. From the very beginning, Paul is helped by other believers. Barnabas vouches for him to the apostles. Barnabas goes with him. They're sent with others. Others are sent to them. They go to churches. They go from churches. They write to churches. It all is entrenched in this community all the time. We are made for this. And the Bible confirms it. And it tells us the nature of how we belong, though. In Romans 12, we read about the church. For just as each of us has one body with many members, many parts, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. So we don't just belong to something, we belong to each other. And that can seem a little bit weird. And I've watched enough Netflix documentaries in my time and seen some rather extreme examples of particular communities for it to sometimes feel a little bit weird, but I think the extreme examples are helpful in highlighting a key difference for us, which is that we don't belong to each other for the sake of the community in itself. We're not about building an indestructible community here, but rather community is indispensable because we are united around a purpose. The community is formed for the sake of the purpose that we have. Our purpose unites us. Our togetherness strengthens us, and it helps us to go out without fear. Paul's companions are his co-workers. His co-workers are his companions. And I wonder, who's your Barnabas? Who's your Paul? Not the bit where they fall out and hopefully reconcile, but the other bits. Who are those people in your life? God sends us out with other people. He sends people to us. Paul writes this. He says, he has delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. All through the Bible we see God loves to answer prayer. And it seems like in a special way God loves to answer prayers of people together. Old Testament example, Esther. The people fast, the people pray. Esther gains favor with the king. New Testament example, Peter is in prison. The people pray, God's people pray the doors open wide. We know, we believe, we want to walk in our belief here that prayer isn't decorative. We don't want to be people who offer to pray for each other because it's a kind thing to say. We don't do prayer ministry here every week, every service, because it's a way to care for each other, although we hope that you feel cared for in it. But we pray with you, we pray for you because we actually believe it will make a difference. We believe that God acts and moves in response to prayers of other people around you, praying for the things that you want to see God do in your life. Paul said to the church in Corinth, you help us by your prayers. Paul wrote in Romans 15, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. We pray for each other because it helps each other. It's our way of joining in the struggle. And when we allow people to join us in our struggle, even though it might feel vulnerable to let people into those things, then it means that someday when we see the breakthrough, we all celebrate. Your Bible read-through group, their faith rises. They get to glorify God. The church's faith rises. We all get to glorify God. I was thinking uh, about the Westminster Catechism this week. 
which again, kind of questions like, who am I? What am I for? It says, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. I can see how these three pillars in my life would help me to live a life that glorifies God. I can see that. But I can also see how they would help me enjoy him forever. Because looking at Paul's life, honestly, the fact that he suffered is a pretty major theme. But I also see joy. He has such an intense life, but I don't think he was just like gritting his teeth and bearing it. I see this in a nutshell in 2 Corinthians, how he lives this kind of weird paradox in our life where we're told we'll have trouble, but we're also told that we'll have joy. In 2 Corinthians, he writes, I take great pride in you. I'm greatly encouraged. In all our troubles, my joy knows no bounds. In all our troubles, my joy knows no bounds. And I don't think he's a liar. In Acts chapter 16, he's in prison with Silas, and it's midnight, and they are praying and singing hymns to God. That tells you something about a person. His letter to the Philippians is full of encouragements to have joy. He says, further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. It's a safeguard to you. He writes, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. To rejoice is to have joy which is to feel joy and to show that joy. These three pillars, the sufficiency of Jesus, the priority of the gospel, an indispensable community, won't only grow in us a clear and robust faith, but also, I think, an unshakable joy. Joy that comes from knowing Jesus is enough and we always have access to him. Joy that comes from the relief of knowing that we have purpose and that we can follow that joy of belonging, being part of something, this sort of joy can't be taken away because these things don't change. And so together, we look at our lives, we look at our land, we look at our future, and we can say with joy, he has delivered us, he will deliver us again. And on him, we will set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. I have a challenge for us today. Actually, I have a few challenges disguised as a challenge, but that's always the way, right? Out of the three pillars, is there one in particular that you want to grow in your life? Whether that's, okay, I want to like grow in that daily dependence thing. I want to know that Jesus is enough. I want to find that in my life and grow in that in my life. Is it prioritizing the gospel? Are you like, okay, yeah, that, it's important to me that people know who Jesus is, but like not important enough. Is it the most important thing? I don't know. I want to grow in that being part of community, like that idea of actually belonging to each other. What does that actually look like, real community in that way? That's kind of a first bit. I'm going to lead us just in a moment to reflect on that in a second. Second thing is to find a way to get on mission with the gospel. Like no matter how you feel right now, no matter what level your faith is at or how clear you'd say it is or how foggy you'd say it is, like just get on mission. Find a way to center your life around who Jesus is and the story of that. And then in that context, I think you will find that Jesus is enough because he'll help you and you will also find that community is indispensable for you as you do that. And then finally, a wee bonus one is to assess your friendships and your closest relationships. Do you know how God's called you together? Do you know what he's called you for, what he's called you to, who he's called into your life so that you can do mission together, whatever that looks like? Okay, we're gonna go into, um, I just wanna pray for us uh, before we move on. And as we do that, if it helps you, you can close your eyes. I'm just going to ask the Holy Spirit to highlight some things to you to help you to uh, reflect and process what he's saying. So Holy Spirit, would you speak to us right now? Would you help us? 
And God, just for us who are listening here in this room right now, would you highlight to us if there's one of these things, one of these pillars in our life that you want to grow, that you want to strengthen, would you just emphasize that for us right now? If it's your sufficiency, Jesus, that you're enough, would you highlight that for us right now? Just If it's the priority of the gospel, show us that, God. Speak to us. And if it's something to do with the, how community is indispensable, it's important for us, would you highlight that to us? Speak, Lord, help us. And if you're here today and you maybe have been far from God or you've never given your life to Jesus, I want to just pray right now something that if you want to turn to him, if you want to give your life to him, you can pray along with me as a first step today and then we have our prayer team in the balcony who would love to pray with you. But you can just pray something like this with me in this moment. Jesus, I need you. I've been far from you or I haven't known you for myself, but I want to give my life to you. I turn to you now. Would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? Make me new. And help me to walk in your ways, Jesus. Help me to follow you all the days of my life. Today is the day that I turn to you, Jesus. Help me, God. And Lord, for all of us, would you continue to speak? Help us to respond, Lord. Help us to know what you're saying. In Jesus' name, amen.